This is the Learning to Lead Podcast, episode 101. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 101 of the Learning to Lead Podcast. My name is Doug Smith, and I'm the founder of L3 Leadership. We're a leadership development organization devoted to helping you become the leader that you were created to be. And if you're new to this podcast, we're committed to bringing you three episodes every single month. One will always be from our Leadership Breakfast, in which we bring in the best leadership speakers that we can to share their best leadership content. Once a month, I interview a high-level leader and try to extract their best leadership content. And then once a month, you'll get a personal leadership lesson by me. And if you've been with us for a while and enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate if you could just take two or three minutes and hop on iTunes and actually subscribe to the podcast and then leave a rating and review. Uh, That would just really mean a lot and it really helps us to grow our audience organically. And so here we are, episode number 101. Uh, Pretty exciting stuff. And this episode also comes to you from our breakfast series, as did episode 100. And we recently had Jeff Leak, who's the pastor of Allison Park Church and the founder of the Reach Northeast Network, speak. And his network, actually, Reach Northeast, is just celebrating planting 100 churches in the last five years. Uh, Just an incredible accomplishment. And the thing I love about Jeff is Jeff's not only a pastor, he's an entrepreneur, and he's a leader of leaders, and God is just using him in huge ways. And he did a phenomenal job at the breakfast. He actually spoke on finding joy in our journey, which I think is a crucial lesson for leaders to learn. And if you want to listen to his talk, you can listen to that in episode number 100 of the Learning to Lead podcast. And you can find that at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 100. In this episode, you're actually going to get to listen to our question and answer session with Jeff. We took about a half hour and fielded questions from the audience, and it was a phenomenal time. And I really think that uh, this is just action-packed with value for you. So uh, I know that you'll enjoy this. And before we jump into the Q&A with Jeff, I just want to thank our sponsors, Bab Inc. They're an insurance broker, third-party administrator, and consulting firm in Pennsylvania and across the country. They're our monthly breakfast hosts. They have one of the coolest buildings in Pittsburgh. Uh, They're led by a great man named Russell Livingston, and I really encourage you to check them out at babbins.com. That's B-A-B-B-I-N-S.com, and uh, you can check out the great work that they do. So that being said, let's jump right into our Q&A with Jeff, and then I'll be back at the end with a few announcements. Enjoy. So you had the third point, celebrate success. I was wondering how God would define success in relation to maybe how just culture or just people in general would define success and you think there's a difference in what God sees as successful versus what we would what just culture people would see as successful and maybe where you see the overlaps of that as well. Differences and overlaps between how God defines success and how the rest of the world would define success. Yeah, that's a very good question. So I think I think um, this is something that we do in whatever we lead prior to establishing a goal to think through what actually am I trying to do? So does the kind of goal that I'm setting have a component to it that could be considered a kingdom of God kind of goal? So, okay, in the church world, this is the area that I know so well, but you can apply it into your situation. One of the things that we we talk about is for us, we could. there's a lot of targets that you can celebrate in terms of the church success. You can celebrate the numbers of people who come to something. You could celebrate the numbers of, of, of projects accomplished like a church plant. What we try to do is remind ourselves that it all comes back down in ministry 
to what's happening in, in the individual life. So our mission as a church is to love the one who's hurting, forgotten, and disconnected from God. Okay? So, so when we get together and we celebrate, we don't just talk about the corporate numbers. Okay, we had this many people at this outreach, or we had this many people at the churches we planted. We bring it back into what we would consider as the, the true mission uh, that God would affirm, and that's what's happened in people's lives. So every meeting that we have as a staff, we open it up by t- telling stories about what is happening in individuals' lives. We don't tell corporate stories or large goal stories. We to- tell individualized stories, and we just go around the room. And after having reminded ourselves of what true success is, then we superimpose onto that some discussions about metrics and measurements corporately that, that need to be in the context of what our real mission is. I think if you're leading a company or whatever it is that you're leading, a department, you need to think through what does true success look like for you. And if you're a Christian leader, true success should have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, whatever goals you're setting should be informed by what we understand are the value systems of the kingdom of God. Um, and that doesn't have to necessarily be worded in a very spiritual sense. It just has to mean that, that you know, you break it down to the essence of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. I don't know if that, that answered your question, but yeah, knowing what you're celebrating, celebrating the right thing is important. First of all, thank you. I thought that was uh, an awesome uh, topic. One that yeah. I've never heard before, so I appreciate that. Um, one of the things that I, quick comment on the question um, our mastermind group, we talked about you know, blessings, and one of the things we talked about is a, is a song that I really like to sing that, that talks about this. Like the song that goes, Every blessing you pour out, out All right, good. <laughs> Here's the best part. I'm not a good singer, so that's okay. Like, and then the next part says, um, when the darkness flows, it's important, still I will say blessing. So even when it's good and when it's bad, we can still say blessing. You know, blessing is the name of the Lord. What, you know, so blessing. But anyway, so I love what you're doing. That, that's that kind of inner joy that's not circumstantial. So, But I didn't know how to put it to words like you did. So that was great. Um, the question that I had that will be relevant, uh, very relevant for my future marriage is uh, when you talked about slowing down, um, but not necessarily slowing down your pace, slowing down your inner pace, because I know I'm going to talk about slowing down. So can you speak about what you <laughs> can you speak about what you mean by slowing down inner, but not necessarily slowing down your work yeah. and what that, what that is? So, so some of this has to do with the times in which we live. So if you compare, if you compare, let's say, generations. So we go back to the times of the New Testament. One of the benefits that Jesus and his disciples had is Jesus would do a lot of external ministry. Crowds, huge crowds of people. But then when that was done, here's basically what they had to do. They shut down the service they were leading, whatever's going on in the field. Somebody went out and gathered firewood. Somebody went and bought some something from the market. They sat around the fire, they cooked the fish, they ate, they shared stories. The next day they got up, they walked for 10, 20 miles to the next location. There was no texting on the phone or answering of email or phone ringing or, you know, the, the noise, the noise of our, of our times is just nonstop. So internal slowing down doesn't necessarily mean that you don't try to aggressively accomplish your goals. 
It means that sometimes rather than jumping back onto your device or answering a phone call, because we multitask constantly. You know, it's like, well, I'm going to this meeting, and while I'm going to this meeting, I'm going to have four conversations about four different things I'm leading in other areas. And then as soon as I get there, we do this thing, and sometimes we're in a meeting like this, and I appreciate the fact that no one's typing necessarily right now and and texting. It's a wonderful thing, but most of the time, you almost have to tell people that, like, shut your phones off. And I go into even staff meetings, you have to just tell people to power down. So it's really choosing to breathe. It's like not so much... Not so much uh, crossing things off your list, although that can slow you down too. It's just choosing to breathe. It's like, all right, I'm here. I'm in this moment. What is it about this moment that's good? It's just kind of doing that. It's like, you know what? I can tell you, I appreciate the fact that this leg's not in pain because this one is. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I, I took my, the fact that my legs were not in pain for granted, but I'm not taking it for granted right now because there's a contrast. There's a lot of things all the time that we just, we just take for granted. So it's choosing to slow your pace down, to reduce the noise, to drink in the moment and to be present. And this is also true. Sometimes, you know, this can invade not just your soul, but your interpersonal relationships. Where we don't do enough of just like, hey, Doug, how you doing? Look him in the eyes. Listen, we're, we're oftentimes listening to what he's saying. and We're thinking about what we're going to say back. So we're really not taking in what he's saying. We're thinking about the 10 things. We're like, come on, get along here, man. I got some other stuff that I have to do. Can we end this conversation? Because we're moving so fast internally that we don't have a real connection with human beings. And so it's learning how to purpose for that to happen. Okay? Does that make sense? Good. Yeah. Sure. Um, so I tend to be a task person over relationships. Um, take a lots of personality tests, and it's just like way up there. So recently, I'm on this level. And actually, this guy, he's super, like, he is the person who's having four conversations with four different people about four different tasks. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also taught me a lot about my relationships first in the text, so thank you for that. Um, but, um, so I've been practicing putting relationships first, um, and recently I've been struggling with, now the tasks don't getting done, and then I'm feeling like really anxious about that, because I'm, like, I'm used to like just like getting the task done and moving on to the next thing, and um, and I think Armando and I have also talked about this too, is that like we feel that God has given us a capacity, God's given us gifts in order to do really good things. And so why why can't we just use our time, all of our time, to kind of do all of the things that we're passionate about too? So kind of like a twofold question in that. Um, but any any advice that you have to give um, to that? How many of you in the room are task-oriented just like Dara? Okay. Not surprising in a leadership breakfast at 8 (laughs) o'clock. How many of you are more the relational person in the room? Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're managing your projects and you're managing people. Both of those things are doing. You're managing your relationships and you're managing the results you're going after. Those are the two things you're doing at the same time all the time. Task-oriented people just get a just get a buzz over crossing that 
next thing off the list. It's just like, it's addictive. Like, I got four things done already today. This is awesome. Like, this day is going to be highly productive. It's going to be great. Okay, so so here's here's the thing. You you always have to be adding a value dimension to to the relationships and to the tasks. So not everything on your task list is critically important. So being able to look at what you have before you and valuing it, most important, you know, in my life, aligned with my values, not all that important, okay? And, and it's filtering through every day your projects and tasks through the prism of your value system. So whatever, whatever task management thing that you use, we, we use a, a project slash task management system called Podio. And on my Podio, on my, on my phone every day, we go through and I go through and I list all the things that I need to accomplish in a day. And sometimes there'll be 30 of them on my list. And I know going into that day, there's no way I'm getting all 30 done. So I have to determine of the 30, which are the most important and which ones can I delegate to somebody else? Which ones can I just ignore? Which ones maybe have I tried to squeeze way too much in and I need to just simply dump? Which ones can I put off till next week? And I'm constantly filtering through. And sometimes I have real big vision for that day and then somebody interrupts me and I end up on a detour and I was doing things I never expected I had to do. And so I go back to my task list and I'm frustrated like, oh my goodness, I've, I wanted to get so much done. I haven't done anything. And that can really rob your joy. So I will filter my priorities five or six times a day. I'll just have to constantly make a reassessment. All right, well, based on what just happened to me, I got to sh- sh- you know, shuffle these priorities and put some stuff off and decide what's most important. And then just basically you almost have to think about leaving time for yourself and for relationships as like one of the things that you're prioritizing. So it's, it's not wrong to have that task-oriented filter, but you do have to add your values to it or else, or else you'll just be driven around all the time. Yeah. And wouldn't it be great? You said, wouldn't it be great if we could just do all the things we're passionate about? But that's just not reality. So you have to ask not just what am I passionate about, but what do I feel like is my assignment right now? And what, what maybe is not? So that I know what to eliminate from my life. Yeah. Talk about managing joy. <laughs> um, as a task-oriented person, that is something that I struggle with. And how can I constantly have this joy within? What do I need to do on a daily basis to make sure that I manage my joy? That when I go out among other people, that I can do it. I have that joy within me so that I can be a value to someone else. Yeah, there's probably a lot of things we could talk about, but I think the biggest factor for me is cultivating a grateful heart. So just becoming grateful for the small things. And be on a discovery every day to discover the things in your life that you've been overlooking that you really should pause and be grateful for. And um, oftentimes we, we can develop gratitude whenever something that we were enjoying goes away. And we're like, wow, I missed that. You know? So it's learning how to be grateful. Because the more grateful you are, the easier it is to feel joyous. And, and here's the thing. We do tend to catalog, naturally, either our blessings or our problems. 
If you, if you notice, if you like walk up to somebody and say, so how's it going? A lot of times what you'll get is the catalog of their problems. Well, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. Wow. And at the end, you feel like, whew, heavy. So, so, so if, you are, if you are a person that's cataloging the negative and then sort of just ignoring the positive, you will have a struggle with joy. And, and again, a lot of times those of us who are task-oriented are problem solvers. So we catalog the problems because we plan on fixing them later. <laughs> so, but, but this is all about saying, I'm going to put that off for a little while. I'm not going to think about that because I want to catalog the things I should have joy over. And this is just sort of reformatting, rebooting your th- thought processes to think differently about the little things in your life. Yeah. First of all, thank you for your message this morning. It's very timely for uh, I got a lot out of it. Uh, my question is about leading a team uh, where members of your team aren't joyful, whether that be because they're hyper-focused and anxious about getting things done, or they're just unhappy with their life. And you need to kind of, how do you get them into a joyful state for them not take responsibility for that? That's a, I like how the last phrase is, some things you can change and some things you can't. You can't change what people do, but you can manage the culture you create. So the culture of your team is something that you can manage. The, the choices that people make within your culture are out of your control. So you want to think about what, what can I do to create the culture here so that when we are together or we're working together or whatever, that we can add a com- component of enjoyment to the journey. And uh, so it's, it's learning how to manage the atmosphere of your team. And not just people individually, but, but what's going on. So, you know, you just think about, think about what, what would add a, a dimension. So when I became the pastor at Allison Park Church 25 years ago, we had just gone through a really difficult season as a church, and there was a lot of um, uh, corrosive talk and behavior between one another at the time. So I became the pastor of a church that had been fractured by a lot of infighting. And it wasn't like anything really major had happened. It's just that people were not resolving conflicts face-to-face with each other. They were talking about each other rather than to each other. And that was causing a lot of hurt. And the, the, one of the things that I did, not intentionally, but I now look back on and realize what was so important is we planned a lot of parties, picnics, and fun activities. We, we did things that were risks, that were like a little bit goofy in a way, that made people laugh. Um, and that laughter and fun is one of the most healthy things for your team's culture. And whenever you have a team that's lacking, if, it's, if you're not laughing together and having fun together, then it's much harder to work together. So it's learning how to plan those kinds of moments in your journey so that your team can be enjoying themselves too. And I think, okay, you can go way to the extreme on that, but, but I think a little bit of that goes a long way to even add productivity because people then become more effective at what they do because they're just stronger as individuals. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. Um, I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And so when I heard you're going to be here um, and you planted, you know, over 100 churches in the Northeast, I thought of the area I grew up in because it's considered one of the most spiritually great places. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you were faced with the task to kind of move up into the Northeast, um, what is one thing that just kept you 
trucking through the overwhelming task of getting through in that type of area? Yeah, so we haven't planted one in Scranton yet, by the way, but we have done Binghamton, which is a little bit north of there. I always pray for Scranton when I drive past. So the vision is what what dro- drove me. So uh, basically the way that the whole thing started was we had planted nine churches in Pittsburgh, and I was of the mindset that you could only do it close to where you were located, like send people away, and they become like the foundation for this new church. I think I just lost my microphone there. Sorry. Um, and and I had been having a conversation with a friend of mine about inner city Philadelphia. And um, as we were talking on the phone, I I started to complain out loud. So I basically said, I don't understand why no one does anything about Philadelphia. There's 1.1 million people who live there in that city, 5 million in that region. <clears throat> Some church organization somewhere needs to focus on Philadelphia. I mean, who, who, how come no one can see this? And then as soon as I was done complaining, I felt God say, why don't you do something about it? (laughs) So I I, I was like, it just sort of hit me. And I was like, wow, I think I'm supposed to do something about Philadelphia. So I went back and told my wife, I actually thought I was going to leave the church I'm at and move to Philadelphia to plant that first church. And then people around me said, no, don't leave the place of your strength. Send, Send other people so that you can do more than one city. And so the compelling vision of the need is what, drove me to do it. Uh, but then whenever you set a big goal, this is one, one of the great things about big goal setting. Okay, So setting a goal for a lot made us think differently about how we did what we did. So when we were one at a time, we thought about a one at a time process. When we're thinking about doing 100 in 10 years, we had to think differently about everything. Now we're thinking, how do we recruit a lot of church planners? Well, if we get a lot of church planners, how would we train all these church planners? So our our volume thoughts required a volume strategy. And here's basically one of the ways that this has happened, the 100 church plants. February 24th, 19, or excuse me, 2013, I had three guys that were getting ready to plant, one in Binghamton, New York, and two in Boston. And I was coaching them all as individuals in the one-at-a-time mindset. And then a couple of things happened where one couldn't plant when they were supposed to, and the other had to move theirs up a little bit. And I said, you know what would be really cool? Why don't we launch them all on the same day? And they were like, yeah, it'd be awesome. Let's just have our launch day all be on the same day. So three churches decided all to launch on the same day. And so those three churches launched. I think there was almost 800 people in attendance on on that day, cumulative. We celebrated it nationally. It caused a buzz. And then Brian Bolt, who pastors City Reach Network that we also partner with, saw what we did. And he said, that was a great idea, three churches in one day. I got some planters I'm working with. I think we're going to do them all in one day too. So he planned six in one day for September. Now, once they all got on the same path, we, we put them into a cohort. They started to study together. They became a community of church planning. So for nine months, they had conference calls every week, and then they all launched together. It was like, whoa, this was great. Let's do it again. The next time, there was 13. So we, we have church planting classes, I guess a class of church planters that all graduate together when they launch their brand new church. So our large goal required a change in our paradigm, and when we discovered the change in the paradigm, it made the large goal achievable. Uh, that makes sense. So... 
they say sometimes it's better to think instead of doubling your capacity to think about 10 times. So what if we did 10 times more business next year than we did this year? What would that mean? So it's, it's all about changing the way you think about what you do so that you can accomplish more. So the vision compels us forward, but then the paradigm has to shift so that you get a strategy to match the big vision. And somehow we stumbled into the discovery that has allowed it to happen faster. So I know that I could get into a lot of other details on that, but that's, I guess, something that's broad enough that would apply. Anyone else have questions? not going to sing it like a, <laughs> over here. <laughs> and then uh, Michael Dunker Smith's is free. Mm-hmm. So that has helped me kind of reestablish and refocus um, through that. So my question to you is how can we as individuals, as a group, uh, be a blessing for you? Oh, wow. I'm not sure the answer to that. I mean, I, I tell you what's a blessing to me already is to see. So most of you are younger than me, okay, uh, to see so many people hungry um, to change the world. Basically, what leadership is, is is about that. Change the world in a positive way. You know, out early in the morning in these, um, what do you call the groups? Mastermind groups. You know, I, I love this. This is awesome. It's very inspiring. For, so, so for someone in my stage of, of leadership, just watching what's happening, I would just say, keep doing what you're doing. You know, go after it. Just along those lines, I was going to ask you this again. So, some people here may have a church, other may not. But if they want to connect with your church, can you talk about that? If they're interested in church planning or want to support Peace or Peace, how can they do that? Or just your personal ministry? Okay, well, that's a lot there. So, yeah, AllisonParkChurch.com is where you can look if you're interested in checking out uh, the church. We're one church in three locations. We have one in Ambridge, one in Hampton, and one in Deer Lakes. Um, as far as if you're interested in planting a church, I would just say see me directly after afterward what we can talk about about that journey. Um, or a lot of people are interested in joining a church planting team. They may not be the planter, but they feel wouldn't it be great to be a part of a startup? And we're always starting some nearby, so... Uh, I'd be happy to talk to you about that as well. As far as uh, how to support Reach Northeast or whatever, you're welcome to come join us at Stage A on Wednesday night if you'd like. It's going to be an awesome night. We're just going to have a big party and and celebrate. So, yeah. What was the Ignite conference on Thursday? Ignite is at Allison Park Hampton campus. Thursday morning starts at 8.30. Cost is only $10. We lowered the cost this year just because this is a celebration year. So it'll go from 8.30 in the morning until about 3 in the afternoon. And we have six great speakers from around the country. You'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it if you want to come. So I have a question. When I interviewed you, I think I asked you about legacy, and I'm going to misquote you. But you said ultimately leaders are going to be remembered by what they set in motion. Yeah. And I love that definition of legacy. Can you talk about that? And then specifically, a lot of people here are entrepreneurial-minded as well. Can you talk about the process of cultivating a vision? Um, 
And I mean, obviously you've had vision in your heart, you've cultivated it and they've lasted over 20 years, that's pretty significant. So can you talk about that process of, hey, I have a dream or an idea, what do I do with this now? And how do I set all this stuff into motion to make a big difference? Yeah, so the set into motion, if, I'm, if I have anything on my tombstone at the end of my life, this will probably be the most significant thing I ever said, and that is basically life is not just about what you do, it's about what you set in motion. This is basically a kingdom of God principle. If you look at Barnabas in the New Testament, he set in motion the Apostle Paul's ministry, and Paul accomplished all these amazing things. We think about Paul, but we forget that if there was not Barnabas to get him started, there would be no Paul. Okay, so it's that idea. It's not just about what you're doing, it's about encouraging and launching other people. So it's, it's number two in the three, L3 kind of thing. It's, it's, launching is not just about launching your thing, it's about launching other people to do their thing. And as far as how do you maintain your, your new idea and get, bring it to, to birth, okay? So there is this process that I think that I have followed in launching whatever it is, the nonprofits, the church planning, whatever, and that is, first of all, you get inspiration. I think this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to see a church planted in Philadelphia. Okay, I get the inspiration. That's where it starts. And then, and then after inspiration, you need to have a lot of conversation. So you go to your key people. And you say, I had this inspired idea. Um, what do you think about this? So the first person I told was my wife, you know, and then some mentors in my life. And, and those conversations inform what you're going to do next. And, and then I think after the conversations that you have with key leaders and people that are going to speak into your life, then the next thing that you do is you build the platform for a, a, next, a little next baby step. Every vision you accomplish in your life is accomplished as a series of baby steps towards that goal. We often tend to think of it as we take leaps and bounds towards the vision. It's really more like little tiny steps every day in the same direction. So 20 years of church planting has been little tiny steps of, of obedience to the plan that God put in my heart over, over a, a two-decade period of time. So what's the next little thing? So say, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm supposed to start this business. Well, I'm going to incorporate, so I'm going to talk to a lawyer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this thing started. Well, now i got something on paper, but nothing else. What do I do now? Well, you take that next little step, and then you sort of wait for, you get in, in, in vice and input until you pursue it to the place where it succeeds. And along the way, especially if you're in a partnership with God kind of a thing, you need some major breakthroughs that only God can provide. So... How much time do I have left? Can I tell one more story? So when we launched the nonprofit, what's called the Network of Hope, I had the inspiration. Wouldn't it be great if we helped some of our churches that we planted reach their communities with practical need-meeting ministry? And a lot, I had conversation. I had a lot of people who thought that was the greatest idea ever. So I put together a team, committee. We talked about it. But I, after that committee meeting, all we had was just ideas on a whiteboard. No one there felt to lead it. I didn't have the time to lead it. And some of it was moving in different directions. One guy wanted to do this over here. One person wanted to do this over here. And it was a little bit frustrating because the meeting didn't end like I thought it should. And so I just threw out this thing. I said, well, here's the deal, guys. All of these great ideas can't go anywhere until we can at least hire somebody as the executive director to get this thing off the ground and move it into a place of, of, of effectiveness, you know, just getting it even started. So... How much money do we think we'll need, I said, to hire that person? And we batted around and we said, probably $50,000. So 
So I said, here's where we are. This is a $50,000 idea. When we have $50,000 for this, we'll move forward. And I honestly thought I was killing it right there because I was going to then dismiss this committee, which had become a little dysfunctional. And kind of, I could keep, if they asked me, I could keep them back. Well, we don't have the money. I'm sorry. We can't move forward. So we closed that meeting in prayer. God, if this is an idea from you, give us $50,000. That week, there was a person who was not in that meeting who called me up and said, you know, I just sold my business and I have some money I want to give to the church. Is there a vision I could give this to? And then they described, they just said, they said, I kind of would like to see this used to help people in need in various communities. I was like, okay, that's kind of the inspired idea. And I want to write this check for $50,000. I was like, well, okay, so this must be a God thing then. So I was able to reassemble the team and say, look what we have. We have money now. We can hire somebody. And honestly, it would have never gotten off the ground if it hadn't been for that one breakthrough moment. So this is where being a person of faith is such an advantage because whatever you're going to do, you're not going to do it alone. God is a, a God who's able not only to speak to you about what He's inspiring you to do, but He's able to provide you with key relationships, resources, capital, you know, to be able to move the thing along. And, and so you just, one of the things I'd say is pray. God, this is the dream that's in my heart. I don't know what to do next. God, this is what I feel like I need. Be specific. Name it. I think I need this amount. I need this kind of a person. I need this connection. Pray and ask God to help you because if it truly is the idea he's inspired in your heart, he wants to accomplish it as much as you do. So let him in on the journey. So then speaking of prayer, what can we pray for you for? Um, pray that my leg heals fast. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, I, I, so I kind of joked about people saying, um, what's next, what's next? This is, this is what I'm asking now. This is where I'm in prayer. What's next? Because I didn't expect to be here for another five years because it's happened in half the time. So I thought this particular 10-year goal would take me until my late 50s, and now I'm, I'm here, which means there are probably or there are further opportunities I wasn't considering before, but I don't want to just rush out and throw something out there just to say something. So I'm in that phase where I need a new God idea for the future. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to our question and answer session with Jeff. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, for ways to connect with Jeff and what he's doing, you can go to the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 101 and you can find out everything that you need there. Uh, our next event, if you're interested in attending and you live in the Pittsburgh area, we're actually going to go to a Pirates game and have a tailgate with Sean Amirati, who is a entrepreneur who's built and sold three businesses. And uh, for $10, bucks, you are going to get Chick-fil-A, you're going to get to hear Sean talk on his new book, and you're going to get uh, a copy of his new book for free, and then you'll get to go to a Pirate game. So you really can't beat it. We only have 100 tickets. Uh, as of now, there's only 60 left. So really encourage you to hop on that and get it as soon as you can. If you want to find out more information, just go to l3leadership.org forward slash event and you can register there. I want to thank our other L3 sponsor, which is 068, and they're a company led by my friend Daniel Bull, and they actually are a company that starts companies with ex-convicts, and they're doing phenomenal work. They just released a video highlighting the work that they do, and I really encourage you to check that out at 068.org. I'll spell it out. That's 068.org. 
As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could subscribe and leave a rating and review. That'll help us grow our audience organically. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for those of you who have done that. And uh, thank you for everyone who listens. It really does make a difference. And then lastly, if you want to stay in touch with us and what we're doing at L3 Leadership, you can sign up for our email list on our website at l3leadership.org. And when you do, you'll get a free copy of my ebook, Making the Most of Mentoring, uh, which is my step-by-step process for getting meetings with leaders. And uh, I really think that that'll add value to your life. As always, I like to end with a quote. And I'm quoting Gerald Brooks again. I quote him a lot. He has some great one-liners. And he said this. He said, if you have a problem, growth is the key. If you don't outgrow your problem, your problem will outgrow you. And we exist to help you grow so that your problems won't outgrow you. And so thanks again for listening to the podcast and being a part of L3 Leadership. Laura and I appreciate you so much, and we will talk to you next episode. 